The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. We begin with the final trading day of 2020 as investors look to cap off what has been a turbulent but a record-setting year for the markets. And Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell saying there is no realistic path forward for those $2,000 stimulus checks. We're live in D.C. with the very latest on that fight. And that development coming as we learn more on cases here in the U.S. of that new COVID strain from overseas. And then we have to cover the ongoing outbreak, really decimating the global box office as the movie industry tries to power back in the new year and say so long to 2020. As parts of the world are officially welcoming in 2021, it is Thursday, December 31st, 2020, finally. And you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I am Frank Collin in for Brian Sullivan and happy new year to the island of Samoa was just welcomed welcomed in 2021 among the first to do so. All right. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up on their final trading day of 2020 stock futures. Well, a little flat earlier now, kind of getting into the negative territory with the exception of the Nasdaq, the Nasdaq up very slightly right here. All right. Taking a look at the year that was really a record setting one for the markets and just a huge one for tech. The Nasdaq climbing 43 percent this year with the S&P 500 and the Dow both posting 15 percent and 6 percent gains respectively. This despite that dramatic drop back in March amid the early days of the COVID-19 outbreak here in the U.S. with the S&P suffering its most rapid 30 percent drawdown on record. Now, speaking of the S&P, taking a look at the big winners there, one of the big names, we talk about it all the time, Tesla up a whopping 730 percent. That is not a typo. Etsy surging 314 percent as we experience that new stay at home air quote, air quote norm. Other names, including NVIDIA, PayPal and L Brands, the parent company of Victoria's Secret, all rising more than 100 percent. Now, looking at the Dow's top performers, two tech titans. Apple and Microsoft right up there. Apple up 82 percent. Microsoft up 41 percent. Salesforce up 40 percent. Nike up 37 percent. And Disney up 25 percent. Thanks in part to big demand for its Disney Plus streaming service, the Baby Yoda halo effect. All right. Coming up next half hour, we'll show you the stocks that weren't seeing the love in 2020. Let's go worldwide now. Arjumana Bersetti. She's in our London newsroom with a look at how the final trading day of the year is shaping up overseas. Happy New Year, Jumana. Happy New Year, Frank. You know, you were saying you're going to turn to some of the stocks that aren't seeing the love. I thought you were talking about European markets because it's not a pretty last trading day here in Europe with all of the majors 
actually in negative territory, capping off a rather negative year in general, I would say. The stock 600 is going to end the year down about 3.5 percentage points. So uh, really dim performance versus what you had in the U.S., obviously, and in Asian markets. Uh, I also would just want to draw on a little bit on what we're seeing in the U.K. The FTSE 100, again, on the back foot today. It's been a turbulent year for the U.K., not just because of the pandemic, but obviously a lot of political uncertainty with Brexit. And as we know, last week, the, the two sides finally came to an agreement, and that has now been formally signed off by the House of Commons, so by the British Parliament, which means that at exactly 11 p.m. tonight, the UK will become a third-party member vis-à-vis -vis the EU. Formally, will have left the EU. So it's been a long time coming. It's finally happening tonight. Uh, and in reaction to that, we are seeing markets trade on the back foot. And the pound is uh, trying to inch up some gains. Uh, but generally speaking, the mood is pretty dim on this last trading day of the year, Frank. All right, Jumana, thank you very much. Looking forward to seeing you in 2021. Now to some of the morning's other top headlines. Those $2,000 stimulus checks looking unlikely now. After Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell refused to separate them from a pair of President Trump's demands unrelated to helping millions of Americans. McConnell, speaking on the Senate floor yesterday, claimed the measure had no realistic path forward in that chamber. McConnell introducing a measure to the House's standalone plan earlier this week, which would also rescind legal liability protections for tech companies and create a panel on voter fraud. Now to the latest on the pandemic. Officials in Colorado say they are investigating a possible second case of a more contagious COVID-19 strain that originated overseas. California also confirming its first case of that variant. Health experts say the new strain is more contagious than previously identified strains, but not more severe, and could put further stress on the already burdened hospitals in this country if it intensifies. And one of the Oxford University professors who oversaw its vaccine development with AstraZeneca says he is confident the COVID-19 treatments can be adjusted to protect against mutations. He spoke to Closing Bell yesterday. This is going to be uh, a game of cat and mouse now uh, ongoing. Uh, if we have to make new vaccines, we can make them now that we've done the initial work. I'm sure our friends with the RNA vaccines can do the same. So I think, you know, we, we're ready if we need to make uh, another uh, another vaccine to approach it. And just to be clear, I doubt that will require the full clinical trial protocol. It'll probably involve immunogenicity studies and then um, be able to be approved after that. All right, back to the broader markets now. It has been a steady climb for stocks since they hit their lows in March. The S&P 500 is up more than 65% over the past nine months and almost 16% for the year. Some strategists say with valuations this high, it really wouldn't be a surprise to see a pullback in the early part of next year, but they still expect gains overall in 2021. Let's get more market insight right now from Chuck Self, Chief Investment Officer at iSectors. Chuck, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Frank. All right. So, Chuck, uh, everybody wants to know what we're going to expect in 2021. You're on the hot seat. You're first up. So today we're seeing futures. They're slightly lower with the Nasdaq, the only one in the positive. But yesterday we saw the Dow close at a record, the S&P and the Nasdaq close to a record. What is this saying? Is this a sign of investor confidence that the vaccine rollout will go smoothly and we're going to get back to some air quote normalcy? Yeah. And obviously the, uh, the American public wants to be normal by the summer. And and we could get there, but uh, we have to have three to four million uh, doses per day administrated to, to get there. So uh, we'll get there eventually, but how long it'll take is still uncertain. And so um, with the S&P earnings for next year up 22% to $168, that puts the forward-looking PE at 22 plus, 
and everything has to go right. And, and we think that there's a risk that the market has uh, become too exuberant. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's talk some sectors right here. Balanced portfolio is always a very important thing. Um, mm-hmm. Knowing what we know today, what sectors would you invest in? And what do you think about energy and financials? I mean, energy this month up 5%, financials up 4.5%. Would you continue to put money in those? Or do you see some type of change coming with the vaccine rollout and stimulus checks coming next year? Yeah, we, we think it's too pre- premature to get into the heavy cyclical names of energy and financials. Uh, obviously, uh, the whole commodity market has done well since the March lows, but still energy is down 20 percent uh, this year. So um, until we see um, until we know there's going to be demand globally, um, we're not going to see the energy uh, uh, part go up. We think that the best way that investors can position themselves is to do the technology utilities barbell, as I call it, uh, because uh, tech, both of those sectors have earnings visibility no matter what happens to uh, the market and to the economy. Let's talk utilities for a second. What's your case for utilities? I know I've spoken to some analysts that say with this new work from home world, we're all using more power and it's a higher margin business than when we go to work and use the power. And we're also probably not as careful. But is there another case for utilities, at least in Q1? Well, uh, the case, of course, is uh, mainly that uh, yields are high and there's this uh, global search for yield. Uh, people have gotten a, a little skittish about treasuries or, or bonds in general just because the yields have gone up here at the end of this year, whereas uh, utilities are, are still are earning um, a very good, uh, you know, two, two and a half, three percent type yields, depending on uh, the utilities. It's it's a, all investors should have some uh, money in utilities as their safe place uh, uh, as far as investments are concerned. Makes sense. You touched on commodities a second ago. Let's circle back to that. Um, what do you think about commodity investing, especially with the soft dollar? Is this the time to kind of ride that wave of gold? Or if you didn't get into gold earlier this year, have you missed it? Well, you haven't missed it. You've gotten into gold early. We're not. Um, it, we're still over 10 percent below the highs in gold. And commodities are up over 30 percent since the March low, but still nowhere near the highs. We think this is the beginning of a multi-year commodity bull market. And uh, whether you play it in gold or broader commodities, uh, you'll, you'll do well in 2021. All right. Chuck, before we let you go, um, any other sectors that we should keep our eye on? Um, consumer discretionary one's been very hot this year, of course, with the names that are in there like Amazon. Um, what do you think about that sector? Is there, is there another sector we should watch? Well, again, uh, because we're concerned about the rollout, we think consumer discretionary, which was the second best sector this year, um, has has overdone it. Same thing on the communications side. We think that pure technology will still be in favor in 2021, and we're positioned for a rise in that sector. All right, Chuck, we really appreciate you. Happy New Year to you. Thanks for being here. All right, Thank you. more to come here on Worldwide Exchange. And when we come back, Clean Energy Fund seeing a big 2020 with some even outperforming the S&P 500. We're going to break down where the money is flowing, plus SoftBank making new moves with its money, the apparent construction play by the world's largest tech investor. And speaking of money moves, I'm kind of expecting to hear Cardi B right here. Uh, Our Leslie Picker lays out the good and the bad and the downright ugly when it comes to hedge funds making money this year. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? 
At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Today's big number, 302%. That's how much Bitcoin has rallied year to date, hitting a new high yesterday. It's the cryptocurrency's best year since 2017, when it was up over a thousand percent. All right, I don't think we could end this show without talking about Bitcoin. All right, turning to another hot asset category, assets and sustainability-focused funds. They've jumped to record highs this year amid investor momentum behind ESG strategies. As investors pile in, these funds are climbing, with some returning more than 10 times the S&P 500. CNBC.com's Pippa Stevens is here with more. So, Pippa, amid these record inflows, which funds are attracting the most capital? And, of course, Happy New Year. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Happy New Year to you, too. It really is an exciting time for sustainable investing. This year, for the first time on record, funds in ESG-focused funds top $1 trillion amid just incredible investor enthusiasm driven by the pandemic, social injustice, climate change, a host of factors. So getting down to some of the specifics, we've seen a lot of inflows into some of the largest ESG funds. So BlackRock's flagship product, for instance, we've seen $9.5 billion of fund flows this year, bringing that fund's total AUM to around $13 billion. Similarly, the Vanguard ESG flagship fund attracting a lot of attention, $1.5 billion in inflows this year, bringing its total to around $3 billion. But we've also seen a lot of strength in more specific areas within that ESG uh, umbrella. So, for instance, the iShares Global Clean Energy ETF, that's seen about $2.5 billion in inflows this year, bringing its total to around $4.5 billion. Interesting stuff here, Pippa. Uh, some big inflows here. So what's in these funds and how does performance factor in here? Yeah, that's a great question because that really gets to the heart of what some the issues that some people have with ESG investing in that it's a very broad term. So there can be a lot of different strategies. So it's really important for investors to look under the hood of each of these funds to really make sure they know what they are buying. So the flagship ESG funds from BlackRock and Vanguard, those will look a whole lot like the S&P 500. Within those top holdings, you'll see names like Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google. Each of those funds is up about 20% this year. So roughly in line with the S&P 500, outperforming it a little bit. But Frank, the real strength this year has been in those funds that are more focused on specific areas of ESG. So clean tech, really an outperformer here. Take a look at the Invesco Solar ETF. Shares are up more than 200%. The Invesco Wilder Hill Clean Energy ETF shares up more than 200% as well. So just a lot of momentum behind clean tech and renewable energy specifically. Pippa, very interesting stuff here. Thank you very much. Um, very interesting insight into ESG funds are Pippa Stevens from CNBC.com. Happy New Year. All right, still on deck, big tech stocks proving to be absolutely unstoppable in 2020. We lay out whether the sector can keep that momentum going in 2021. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. 
But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. This is a live look at Auckland, New Zealand. In about 40 minutes, they will be the next to celebrate the new year. Fun fact, New Zealand, where they filmed the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. Happy New Year to you guys. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena. He's in New York with the very latest. Happy New Year, Philip. Happy New Year to you, Frank. Uh, president Trump is cutting short his holiday vacation at Mar-a-Lago. The White House says the president is returning to Washington this afternoon, one day earlier than previously planned. No reason was given for the schedule change, but Mr. Trump has been focused on disrupting Wednesday's election certification in Congress. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is allowing about 6,700 fans to attend the Buffalo Bills' first playoff game at home in 25 years. Ticket holders will be required to pass a COVID-19 test before entering the game. Finally, the first major cities getting ready to ring in the new year in the coming hours. As Frank mentioned, Auckland, New Zealand at 6 a.m. Eastern and Sydney, Australia at 8 a.m. Eastern. And here in New York City, the ball will drop as it normally does course, minus the crowds in Times Square. Frank, back to you. Philip, minus the crowds in Times Square, but they will have crowds at the Bills game. So I know you worked in Texas. Are you a Houston Texans fan? What, what team are you a fan of? I do like the Houston Texans. It's been a bad, bad year for them, but <laughs> I'm happy to see I'm happy to see the Buffalo Bills doing well. The fans deserve it, so I'm glad to see uh, almost 7,000 of them getting in. Yeah, I'm an Eagles fan. I, I just don't think the games Ooh. are the same. With the, yeah, I know. Uh, I just don't think the games are the same without the crowd, so it's a really encouraging sign. But for me, the NBA, it works without the crowd. I don't know why, but just yeah, an They had a better setup. Yeah, there you go. All right, Philip, thank you very much. Have a great 2021. I'll talk to you soon. Same to All you. Right, still ahead, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell keeping up his roadblock for more virus aid for millions of Americans. We're live in Washington with the very latest. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the CNBC app, Worldwide Exchange. It's back in a moment. Stocks look to cap off what has been a record-setting 2020. On a somewhat muted note, futures are flat to slightly lower. Big tech seeing its own record year as some of the biggest names in the sector kept going up, up, and up. But can they keep that momentum going? And SoftBank reportedly cutting, getting in on the construction business with its latest investment. It is Thursday, December 31st, 2020. We've all been waiting for this day. And you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back. I'm Frank Collinan for Big Papa, Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and your investments look right now as we're halfway through the 5 a.m. hour on the final trading day of 2020. Stock futures flat to slightly lower. Keep in mind, the Nasdaq was up slightly higher earlier. Taking a look at the year that was a record-setting one for the markets, a big one for tech, the Nasdaq climbing 43%, the S&P 500 and the Dow posting 15 and 6% gains, respectively. 
This despite that really dramatic drop back in March amid the early days of the COVID-19 outbreak here in the U.S., with the S&P suffering its most rapid 30 percent drawdown on record. Now, speaking of the S&P, despite that index's success, not every stock is reaping the rewards. Travel and energy stocks getting hit so hard this year. Carnival, Occidental Petroleum, Norwegian Cruise Lines, Tech, NIP, FMC, and Marathon Oil all down 50 percent or more. And looking at the Dow's worst performers, Boeing, uh, obviously recovering from that 737 MAX situation. Walgreens, Chevron, Intel, and Merck all seeing double-digit percentage drops. Now to some of the morning's other top stories. The Trump administration, it has ramped up its long-running trade dispute with the EU, the White House announcing late yesterday. It would increase tariffs on aircraft parts and non-sparkling wines, cognacs and brandies from France and Germany. The move, which is the latest in the ongoing spat over aerospace subsidies between the two, will kick in on January 12th, just days before Joe Biden is sworn in as president. SoftBank is reportedly investing $200 million for a majority stake in construction startup Katera. According to the Wall Street Journal, Katera shareholders approved the new investment, which comes on top of the $2 billion SoftBank has already invested. The journal says the fresh funds will allow Katera to avoid having to seek bankruptcy. And the journal also reporting. Tribune Publishing's largest shareholder is seeking to buy the newspaper chain. The journal says that Alden Global Capital, which already has a 32 percent stake in Tribune, could announce an offer for the company as soon as today. In July, Alden took control of a third seat out of seven on Tribune's board in exchange for extending a previous agreement, preventing the hedge fund from increasing its stake or making a hostile bid until after June of 2021. And now to that developing story out of Washington, D.C. And Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell refusing to back down over his demands to get a bill on $2,000 checks out to millions of Americans in need of aid. Eamon Javers, he joins us now with the very latest. Good morning, Eamon. Yeah, good morning to you, Frank. Such a fascinating political dynamic here because Mitch McConnell is standing sort of athwart President Trump's ambitions here. The president tweeting angrily that he wants these $2,000 stimulus checks. McConnell, of course, of his own party saying no. McConnell blocking uh, an effort here by Democrats and Chuck Schumer in particular to bring that $2,000 check bill to the floor clean, that is, without any other amendments or details attached to it. Uh, McConnell saying he doesn't see any realistic path for that to happen at this point. Uh, and McConnell also suggesting he's going to package it together with two other measures the president has said that he likes. He's going to package it together with this idea of an election commission to look into a supposed election fraud, uh, even though there's been no demonstrated example of election fraud uh, over the past uh, election cycle. And he's also going to package it along with this uh, measure to repeal Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. That is the measure that gives uh, tech companies liability protection from things that people post on the Internet. If you remove that, you're going to dramatically change the way the Internet operates and upend the business model for a lot of social media companies. The president says he wants that because he's concerned that conservative voices are being suppressed online. Uh, not a whole lot of evidence of that, but you do have some allies on the left who, who like the idea of being able to limit some free speech. So there's an interesting potential coalition around that, but it doesn't have the center of gravity kind of support to get done this year, certainly not today. So uh, as for right now, those $2,000 checks are a dead letter, Frank. I mean, here's a question I think everybody in the country in D.C. Are, are all asking ourselves today. What are the chances that we get these $2,000 checks once President-elect Biden is actually sworn in? 
You know, that's a good question, and it's something that Nancy Pelosi has been a little bit coy about. The Democratic leader, the Speaker of the House in the, in the House of Representatives, she's been a little bit uh, wary of indicating that she'll push for this next time. Partly, you know, you don't want to give up your negotiating leverage right now when this is a hot issue in the Senate. Uh, but look, Biden has said that he sees uh, this stimulus that just passed and was signed by the president on Sunday as just a down payment on what needs to be done overall. So, you know, you might imagine that they might take another crack at this once Biden is sworn in on January 20th. All right. Well, certainly more developments on the way in that situation. Eamon, thank you very much and happy new year to you. You bet. Hey, you too, Frank. All right. Back to the markets now. And 2020 really proving to be a year for the books when it comes to big tech. The sector's leaders, Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Microsoft, all notching gains between 29 and nearly 82 percent. This despite the ongoing pandemic and mounting pressure out of Washington. For more on what to expect for tech in the new year, I'm joined by Jason Ware, Partner and Chief Investment Officer at Albion Financial. Happy New Year, Jason. Happy New Year, Frank. All right, well, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. We're going to jump right into this. What should we expect uh, out of tech coming in the new year? Now, we saw stimulus checks, the $600 ones at least come out, and then we saw actually Apple and Amazon fall, which seems a little counterintuitive when you put 600 bucks in the hands of consumers. Yeah, it might seem a little counterintuitive, but at the same time, what we've seen with the past stimulus checks, uh, the previous round in the spring, is that a lot of that went into savings and paid down debt. So, you know, this idea that it's going to go straight into a new iPhone or into something else tech-related um, I'm not sure exactly excites investors as far as like a direct link between stimulus and those businesses doing well. I don't think you need stimulus checks for Apple's business to continue to do well. There's a number of drivers there. The iPhone 12 cycle looks like it's pretty spring-loaded for 2021. We're pretty optimistic on that 5G upgrade. Meanwhile, their services category with higher margins continues to take up more of their business. We think that's a good long-term story. And then if you look at some of the other technology companies, Amazon has done very well with or without stimulus. I mean, that's become a tech utility both in the cloud and e-commerce so you know these technology companies have you know really great business models they're the leaders in their categories and you know we think they're probably good earnings growth stories going forward i'm not sure you're going to get a lot of multiple expansion that's been the story of the last three to five years but earnings growth for these companies look you know anywhere between 15 and 30 percent going into 2021 and i think even evaluations are stable and we've seen a fairly good consolidation in these stocks a healthy consolidation over the last four to six months I think they can still be good investments for investors. Well, Jason, I think you hit a hot button issue right there. Valuations. Are these stocks overvalued or have they become basically, like you said, tech utilities that there is no real ceiling for them? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, we don't think the valuations on the large technology stocks that we own look um, unrealistic. You know, whether you're looking at Apple at 30 times next year's earnings or Microsoft at 30 times next year's earnings. You know, we, we like Visa. It's also a technology stock in our view that doesn't get a lot of uh, uh, discussion or focus among those bang names, and it's trading around 30 times forward earnings. Google's at 27, 28 times. So I think if you look at it from a PE perspective, they're not terribly expensive, especially with low interest rates. If rates remain low, I think there's a case to be made that you know stocks trading between 25 and 35 times earnings with these kind of economic moats and these types of returns on invested capital, and you know just look at the you know, look at the reinvestment in the businesses that say Amazon is doing. I mean, it's hard to compete against these large tech companies, and they're only getting stronger and larger as the pandemic went on, as you mentioned, that tech utility profile. So I don't think they're terribly overvalued. If they were at 50 to 70 times, you know, maybe we'd have that conversation. There are parts of tech that seem frothy, but large cap tech to us seems realistic. Real revenues, real profits, real free cash flow. These are good businesses.
All right. So speaking of growing stronger throughout the year, we got to talk about Tesla. So you mentioned the valuations of some of those other tech companies like Amazon. Looking at Tesla, uh, trading at 180 times forward earnings. Are all the yep. Tesla, <laughs> you just had to say, yeah, no, you had to jump in. Yeah. Uh, are all the Tesla believers right? Are, are we all missing something or is this stock overvalued? Yeah, you know, Tesla's not a stock that we own in the portfolio. Um, and part of that's because it's always been expensive. Um, and, you know, good growth companies oftentimes will carry that profile. Amazon, for example, has always been expensive on a PE basis. And we own Amazon. And we prefer to look at Amazon on a free cash flow basis and on a sales basis. So maybe some investors are looking at Tesla's potential through that lens. Again, we're not. We don't own it. So I don't have a real strong opinion on where Tesla stock goes. Obviously, if we were bullish on it, we'd have it in the portfolio. I think what they're doing is really exciting. Their total addressable market in EVs, and they are, without question, the dominant player in electric vehicles. I mean, this is a three to $400 billion total addressable market by 2023. That's exciting. I understand why investors are, are, are putting that valuation on the stock, given that they're obviously a big player in uh, the solar industry with their purchase of Solar City. Battery technology is going to be a huge business over the next decade. So investors are pricing in a lot of future growth for Tesla. And the question of whether or not that's too overvalued right now is not something that's probably going to trip up the stock, but ultimately it's going to have to grow into that valuation and it might be a bit tricky. So for now, we are not owners of, of the stock. Can we touch on one other part of the tech world? Uh, fintech. Uh, you see Square and PayPal having very interesting years. And again, they're very uh, have very high uh, forward P.E. What's your take on them, uh, especially with the weak dollar? Do you see them strengthening, at least in the Q1 of 2021, as all of us, until the vaccines kind of proliferate, are still going to be kind of stuck at home? Yeah, I, I don't think the weak dollar is going to have a whole lot of effect on the PayPal squares of the world. I think really it just comes down to the secular growth and the dominance that they have in those industries. You know, we own PayPal and one of our little more aggressive growth strategies has been a great stock for us. Um, you know, Square we don't own, so I don't have a strong opinion on that. I think uh, Jack Dorsey's done a great job with that company, and it's had a heck of a run. You know, our preferred uh, tilt in fintech is through Visa and a company called Fiserv. Both of these are strong growth companies, durable growth companies that have had, you know, double-digit uh, earnings growth for as long as, you know, you go back and look, these dominate those uh, those particular niches within fintech. So I think it's a space that you still want to continue to have exposure to if you're an investor. There's a lot of reasons to think that the you know, digitization of payments is going to continue to be a dominant story over the next 10 years. Visa, for example, not only has a secular growth story as a duopoly in credit cards and debit cards with, with MasterCard, but they also have a bit of a cyclical story as well as the economy reopens up, not only buying online, but as we get back to normal activities, Visa is a toll collector in that industry. So I think you can own fintech, you should own fintech, uh, but do it in, through uh, companies that have a little bit better valuation. I think PayPal is a good stock. We like Visa. We also like Pfizer. All right, Jason Ware, great stuff. And before I let you go, I think you have one of the best backgrounds. I like that you stand up, too. It looks good. All right, man. Happy New You're Year. You're so nice. Thank you. Yep. Appreciate <laughs> right, it. Coming up, pulling back the curtain on the uncertain road ahead for the box office, whether the battered industry can bounce back in 2021. But first, as we head to break, some of your other top stories. Bad news for ExxonMobil as it's apparently signaling a historic fourth straight loss due to slumping oil demand. According to a report citing a filing by the company, the oil giant is expected to announce a write-down of up to $20 billion on its upstream assets for the quarter. And Ticketmaster is set to pay a $10 million criminal fine to avoid prosecution here in the U.S. The company was accused of repeatedly hacking its, rival computers, its rival's computer systems, um, its rival startup, uh, Songkick. 
And a big change coming in 2021. Half of U.S. states will raise their minimum wage to $15 an hour. Critics argue the move could hurt small businesses and cause job losses amid ongoing pressures stemming from the COVID-19 outbreak. Worldwide Exchange will be back in just a moment. All right, welcome back. 2020, it really should have been a big year for the movie industry with January's revenue showing a 10% jump from 2019. But with the pandemic taking hold of this country in March, the industry, it just came to a grinding halt. According to Comscore, box office revenue was down 80% in 2020 compared to last year. But a strong slate of films in 2021 might mean the movie theater industry, it's not dead just yet. Let's bring in Paul Dergarabedian, senior media analyst at Comscore. Happy New Year, Paul. Happy New Year, Frank. All right, so we got to jump right into this. Yeah. What could bring back the movie industry? I feel It just feels like, at least to me, a lot of us have gotten really comfortable watching movies at home, including new releases, because you can just do that now. Well, you could, and a lot of people are. But this past weekend, for example, Wonder Woman 1984 opened with almost $17 million while simultaneously available on HBO Max. That says a lot. That says that people could have sat at home on their couch, but a lot of people chose to go out to the movie theater. And I think that was a really encouraging and great sign for the movie theater business, for sure. All right, Paul, I haven't seen it yet. Don't spoil it. I know it's on streaming, yeah, but I haven't it. seen it. Um, I want to talk to you about a movie, Bad Boys for Life. You sent us some research. Really strong yeah. box, office, box office opening for that back in January. Yeah. Is there any movie this January that could come anywhere near that kind of performance and pull people back into the theaters? Uh, I mean, it, it's going to take a while. I think until capacity rises, like right now, according to our Comscore data, theaters are open in North America at about 35% of those. They're at limited seating capacity. Bad Boys for Life helped kick off the, this year, and it feels like forever ago when that movie opened, it did great business. And in fact, January and February were so strong, we were running ahead of last year, which in North America wound up at $11.4 billion and globally a record $42.5 billion. All the while, streaming was going on in 2019 as well. And yet the movie theater business was thriving. And then because of the pandemic, everything came, like you said, to a screeching halt. March 20 was the day when theaters essentially shut down and drive-ins took over. According to our data, the drive-in represented in February like one, one and a half percent of box office. And in March and April, 80 and 90 percent. So drive-ins, another example of a way people found you know, they were literally driven, I should say, and they found a way to see movies on that big screen in a communal environment. So that, again, that's telling us that people want to go, but they have to feel safe and secure. 2021, I think, could be a huge year, but it's going to take some time. And then I think 2022 is the year that things really get back to some sort of normalcy, if you will. Yeah, it makes sense. So I, I saw your stats about driving movies. I thought that was fascinating. There's not many yeah. driving movies here in the Northeast. They're, they're kind of few and far between. I'm not sure about other parts of the country. But that yeah. growth for driving movies, is that sustainable as we see that deurbanization trend, in your opinion? Well, that's really interesting because the drive-in was around last year, but we weren't really reporting on it because then this year we did because they became so huge. I would like to see that come back. I think that's a great way to get people, you know, feeling good about going to the movies, 
They'll go to the drive-ins. But again, people are also going to brick and mortar theaters where available. Remember, this is an industry that was really sidelined through no fault of its own back in March and had to scramble. And we saw so many movies move to the later part or the latter part of 2020. And now 2021 has James Bond, Black Widow, and Mission Impossible 7, Jungle Cruise, and all these big movies. So we're hoping that with the vaccine, as things carry on, that pandemic situation is handled, that then people, that pent-up demand will manifest itself in people going back to movie theaters because the business definitely needs uh, to have that boost in 2021. So, Paul, I think the question that we all want to know is what can give movie theaters that spark? Now, there was a movie that came out in August that normally I think would have generated a lot of excitement, The New Mutants. It's not a Marvel movie. It's by 20th Century Fox, but it's that superhero theme that seems to get people excited. And it did relatively well because of the pandemic, but not great. So is there a genre that can really pull people back in? Is it kids movies? Is it superhero movies? Is it just a drama? What do you think? I think it's a combination of everything because I think it's really about just having brand new movies. That's what people want. No matter the genre, I think people want to go back. Something new and exciting. Of course, superhero movies can do that. You've got Top Gun on 4th of July, I mean, of 2021. That will get me back in the theater. I think for a lot of people, they just want to go and have a great time with their family or friends in that communal environment, the movie theater. And once again, once the pandemic you know, once it's under control in a, in a really big way, then it'll take some time. I think people are going to want to go back. We've seen that in the data over and over again with the drive-ins, with movies like Wonder Woman and Crude's doing very well, better than expected, considering that people have all this great content at home. It's a click away on your couch, yet people are finding a way to go back to the movie theater. So I'm very optimistic about the future, but it is going to take some time. And there will, of course, be changes that may sustain for the long term, like dynamic windowing and other types of release models for movies. But the movie theater will be back. All right, Paul, dynamic windowing. Never heard of that. You, my friend, are a maverick on your own. Forget about Top Gun. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate (laughs) it. All right, on deck, a 2020 to remember for some hedge funds. Our Leslie Picker is laying out the big winners and their investing strategies. We'll be right back. Welcome back. 2020 proving to be a blockbuster year for a number of hedge funds, with some putting up impressive returns. So what is their secret to success? The lovely and talented Leslie Picker. She joins us now with much more on that. (laughs) Happy New Year, Leslie. Happy New Year, Frank. Good to see you. Uh, This year, as you mentioned, was met by some of the biggest dispersions in hedge fund returns ever. So what that means is that the winners won big and the losers, well, the returns were, shall we say, pretty ugly. Now, those that put up some of the best returns tended to be equities focused with a human at the helm rather than an algorithm and were oftentimes smaller in size. Now, stock pickers certainly had a comeback year, according to HFR. Funds that focus on energy, healthcare, technology, Uh, and technology stocks are on pace to actually beat the S&P 500, including dividends. Funds like Tiger Global, Lightstreet, KOTU, D1, and Dragonair have been some of the standouts of 2020. When combining all strategies together, it appears that smaller funds did better because on a fund-weighted basis, the average return for the industry 
was about 7%, but then when you take an asset-weighted basis, it's negative 1.7%. That's thanks in part to some of the larger quant-oriented funds that are in the red this year. Think names like Renaissance and Winton. Still, this could be considered a comeback year for hedge funds in general. Most strategies did outperform the markets in February and March when the markets became spooked by pandemic-induced shutdowns. That bolsters the industry's case that it can help protect investors downside. And that is the type of marketing that's encouraging more firms to launch. Fresh data from HFR shows that there were 151 new funds in the third quarter alone. That's the highest quarterly launch total in over a year. And the first time new launches have surpassed liquidations in over two years, Frank. Interesting stuff here. So I got to ask you, big year for tech, but not for computers when it comes to hedge funds. Why did the computers (laughs) and the algorithms do so much worse? Yeah, so investing in tech stocks was something that the computers were not able to foresee. What's fascinating about 2020 is the fact that with these computers, what they basically do uh, for at these quant funds is they, they create these regressions based on historical analysis. They look at history and say, okay, this is how the markets performed when such and such happens. And then they create models so that the trading uh, can kind of mirror what it has done what the markets have done historically. Well, when you get a once in a century pandemic and an economy that looks nothing like it did in 1918, you wouldn't say invest in internet stocks back in in 1918, uh, the computers didn't really know what to do. And so that is why you see some of the underperformance. There, Leslie, thank you very much and happy new year. Great to see you. Thank you, happy new year. All right, back to the broader markets now as investors gear up for the final trading day of the year. 2020 proving to be just a record year for the markets, despite numerous headwinds. For more, I'm joined by Steve Chivarone, portfolio manager and equity strategist at Federated Hermes. Happy New Year, Steve. Hi, Frank. How are you? All right, we're going to jump right into this thing, man. Um, Where do you see the upside in Q1? Where do you see the downside? And how does the emerging retail investor that has so much equity in their home, maybe more money in their savings, how do they play a part? Yeah, look, look, would I be surprised to see some kind of pullback in the first part of the year? Possibly. But that's not really where we're focused. Where we're focused is, you know, as we've said for a long time, this economy exited recession this year and and it's in recovery now. And we think that that's going to be a multi-year recovery for the economy. And we think markets are going to respond. And we think it's those parts of the market that are difficult to buy. Things like dividend payers and value cyclicals and international stocks. We just think that those companies that need economic growth are really going to get it as we roll out vaccines and the economy continues to recover. And that's really where we're focused, not just for the first quarter, but really for for most of 2021 in our mind. All right. Speaking of vaccines um, and just the whole situation with the pandemic, what macro numbers are you looking at to kind of read the tea leaves? Are you looking at COVID-19 cases, jobless claims, interest rates, bond yields, What should we be looking at to kind of get some insight into at least Q1? I think this was one of the real lessons of of 2020, that even if you think you know a certain parameter, you might be wrong. For example, if you had told me in March that we would have had six times the number of cases today than than we did then, uh, that the markets would be at all-time highs, I would would have thought you were nuts. I would have sold. Uh, So it really hasn't been cases for a while. I I think, you know, the numbers that are going to be key next year are things like, retail sales and restaurant bookings and uh, open table reservations and Uber rides, just signs that we're getting back to normal, that we're emerging from lockdown. I mean, I think we're, we're confident that those are going to improve 
as um, you know as the vaccines are rolled out. But I think those are the kind of metrics, those non-traditional measures of consumer activity that are going to be key next year. All right. So you're, you're saying some words that are, are, I think, are kind of uh, hitting a key point here. Signs that things are getting back to normal. So we've seen incredible yeah. gains on the stock market this year. That's probably not normal considering some of the things that we're experiencing. Where do you see the broader market, the S&P, going this year? Do you have a price target for it? For 2021? Yeah. Yes. We, we, we've got it going to, to, to uh, 40. I'm sorry, to 4,500. Um, we think that you've got significant upside on the market next year uh, because, yeah, look, investors have gotten themselves to the point where they're excited that, you know, 2021 hopefully won't be the dumpster fire that 2020 was. I, I don't think what we've priced in, though, is that economic expansions don't last, you know, months and, and weeks. They last quarters and years. And that we have a multi-year runway here where we think that the S&P will ultimately get above 5,000 before the Fed even considers raising rates the next time. And so 4,500 is, you know, the number for next year that's you know, 15, 16 percent. We've averaged, you know, roughly 12 percent a year since the Great Recession. And we think it's just, you know, a little bit better than average year next year. So you're saying a little bit better than average year next year, but there's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. The question is, you know, will the vaccines proliferate? Will we get a second round of stimulus? Um, two big question marks right there. But when you look at just Q1, do you see these gains continuing? Um, we, we saw, you know, Apple and Amazon actually fall after the stimulus checks. Some confusing signs there. What do you see just in Q1? I, I think that makes sense that those names fell because you have to remember it's about incremental news flow. If you go back to the first quarter of last year, for example, the only place you could do business was Amazon because everything was closed. Now, you know, those companies are still doing well. Um, but when you look at other companies like travel and leisure and entertainment and transportation that were essentially shut down last year, and, you know, even though they're not doing great right now, they're not shut down, the incremental news flow, we think, is in favor of those kind of beaten down parts of the market. So we expect that they'll outperform. You know, our view is that, you know, there's, there's probably a little bit of uncertainty going into the January 6th Georgia election. But coming out of that, we think it's heads we win, you know, tails we win. In other words, either we're going to get a Republican hold of Congress and there's going to be some comfort around split government or there's going to be a Democratic victory and then we'll be pricing in larger stimulus. Either way, we think that the market will get a little bit more certainty, and we think Q1 can, can be a good start to the year, quite frankly. All right, final thought here. You just touched on the D.C. impact on the markets. Uh, mm -hmm. President Biden's coming in and potentially Janet Yellen. Just really quick, what's your take on that? I, I think you're going to see the continuation of easy monetary and fiscal policy, a desire to support the economy in the early stages of this recovery. I think tax changes are likely to be delayed if they occur at all. Uh, and so, frankly, we think that, you know, hopefully the setup for politics in 2021 is one of a little bit of quiet. It's dangerous right. to say, given Washington, but that's oh. the hope. Yeah, uh, certainly dangerous to say. Steve, happy new year. Thank you again for joining happy us. We appreciate it. Take care. All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Myself and our entire team, thank you for tuning in throughout 2020. And we look forward to continuing bringing you the very latest headlines and expert analysis in 2021. From Brian Sullivan, from everybody else that fills in, have a happy, safe, and healthy new year. Squawk Box is up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information.
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.